Welcome to this APTA podcast. Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. Today, I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Dr. Gemma Stanford. She comes to us today from London, where she's with the Royal Brompton and Harefields Hospitals, as well as with the guys in St. Thomas National Health Service Foundation Trust. Welcome, Dr. Stanford. I'm delighted to have you with us. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's exciting to be able to talk to you about our work. We're going to talk about an article she's recently published in PTJ. It's called Physical Therapy and Cystic Fibrosis Care. Where have we come from and where are we going? I was very pleased that you were willing to do the podcast with me. I think this is a really interesting topic. And I have to say, I don't know a lot about cystic fibrosis care because I never worked in this area. So I'm, I really learned a lot and enjoyed your article. Thank you very much. In, in the article, in the early phases of the article, you talked about some recent um, medical advances in the care of cystic fibrosis. You, you focused on two that piqued my interest. The first, if I got it right, was cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductive regulator and modular therapies. Could you talk about how those medications have changed the outlook for people with cystic fibrosis? Yeah, absolutely. So, um. So cystic fibrosis is caused by mutations in the cystic fibrosis transmembrane conducted regulator. The, we'll call it the CFTR gene. Um, and it's present on, um, on the long arm of chromosome seven. And what that does is it encodes for the CFTR protein, which regulates iron transport across cell membranes. So what happens with CF is that the, the iron transport of sodium and chloride is defective. And that affects um, water transport across the cells as well. Um, and as a result of that, in, that's either the CFTR um, gene not working well enough or not having enough CFTR gene within, within each of the cells. Um, and it leads to um, impaired clear, mucociliary clearance and buildup of thick, excessive mucus in the lungs or other organs. So in general, the, the CFTR um, gene and the, the regulator is actually sort of what causes cystic fibrosis. And what's happened very recently is new CFTR modulator medications, which actually target that um, CFTR defect at the protein level, have been introduced. And what they do is basically correct that abnormal ion transportation across the cell membranes. Um, and so it prevents the airways getting really dehydrated and it limits the amount of sticky mucus that's created. So the people are finding that they have less sticky mucus, fewer infections. Many people with CF, when they're taking these medications, are actually finding that their lung function is improving. So although CFTR modulators cannot be taken by everyone, there's about 10 to 20 percent of the population that at the moment these medications don't work for. And there's also some people that have tried taking them and haven't been able to tolerate them for various different complications. Many of the people that are taking them are finding that their life's been dramatically changed. They don't feel like they've got CF anymore. 
and thus their their outlook on life is very very different and it's really early days for the long-term effects of cftr modulator medications so most people in the uk and the us only started them about two years ago so we can't exactly say how the cf population will change for the future but the theory is that it's possible that if these cftr modulator medications are started early enough it could actually prevent kind of classic cf disease which is usually you know really bad lung infections um and you know early death from respiratory failure it could actually prevent those from ever occurring so it's a really exciting time in cf at the moment even though it's early days, in your article, you, you talk about the fact that the demographics of the population have changed a great deal over the past few decades. Can you talk about the changes that have occurred and why those are occurring? Yeah, so um, when CF was first described, it was about in the late um, 1930s, and it was a disease of childhood. Um, you know, many, many people who were diagnosed or not even diagnosed at that time with CF were dying around five years old. Um, and since then, there's been lots of improvements in, in the diagnosis of CF, treatments for, um, for CF complications, for um, infections, and for um, prevention of, of those complications. Um, and there's been a huge increase in life expectancy for people with CF. Um, and although it's still a life-limiting disease, yeah, the median age of death is still around uh, 34 years in the US, 36 in the UK. The predictions for life expectancy are improving. Um, and with the introduction of CFTR modulator medications, they're, they're hugely increasing. So the US um, predicted median survival, um, like last year was 46.2 years. And in the last registry report, it was 50 years. So, um, you know, people who are being diagnosed with CF you know a baby's diagnosed with CF now can be expected to live into their 60s probably um, and alongside improved survival we've also had the introduction of newborn screening which sees every baby screened for CF within the first couple of weeks of life so that's increased the number of people with CF and again the earlier that you can introduce these kind of um, therapies and interventions for people the, the longer people will live, the fewer complications hopefully they will get. So we've got this larger aging population, which is quite a challenge for healthcare providers to make sure that we're providing the suitable assessments and treatment facilities. And obviously, you know, the effect of CFTR modulator medications needs to be monitored because it might be that we have, you know, more people who've had modulator medications earlier who have fewer and fewer complications and therefore fewer and fewer healthcare needs. But we also have to balance that with this aging population who, although the CFTR modulator medications are there for most people, they're not thought to be able to correct existing problems. So if they've already got existing lung disease, they, they will still have that. Um, and they may have more medical complications to treat as well, such as you know diabetes, a greater incidence of cancer we think we might be seeing. Um, and other diseases of old age, which, you know, the CF population haven't actually seen much of before um, and are now adding to more challenges. So the demographic is definitely different. And that's, like I say, before the CFTR modulator medications, which could make an even greater impact. It's, it's interesting because um, these demographic changes and the premature aging of these di different 
clinical populations are seen in other areas as well. And it's really challenged clinical care because we've never dealt with that before. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting because, the, you know, us as CF um, physios can learn from a lot of our colleagues who obviously have seen that a lot, a lot more, you know, for example, people, you know, treating people with diabetes, who have a lot more complications. And um, we can definitely kind of work with those a lot closer than we than we ever have done before. And now with these new medication therapies, uh, talk a little bit about the impact it's having on the role of the a physiotherapist who's working in cystic fibrosis. I mean, it's it's complete. It's completely different. I mean, we can talk. You know, we can talk about how it's evolved since you know in the 1950s. So you know, back in the 1950s, initially the focus was on airway clearance. So making sure that there were techniques to clear sputum from the lungs to prevent obstructions and infection to try and keep people not even to try and keep people healthier, but to kind of basically treat the ongoing infections that many of them had so much. Um, and that was a, you know, a full-time long job. You know, airway clearance at that time was postural drainage for hours, head down tips, making sure that people are in lots of different positions to try and to clear all areas of their lung. Um, and lots and lots of different techniques have evolved over the years to try and make airway clearance better. So, you know, we have now different breathing techniques, different adjuncts to try and to try and help make people more independent and make airway clearance a bit quicker than hours and hours lying with your head down. And on top of that, we have, you know, exercise advice has always been really key for physio, but it's taken on a much larger role throughout the years because people with CF have felt better. You know, they've, they've not needed to do so much airway clearance that takes hours and hours and they want to engage in more normal activities and exercise has you know a huge benefit in terms of you know all the all the benefits that we know for anyone who doesn't have cf you know improved quality of life improved well-being general fitness um and you think that you know we need to encourage people to be able to do those things to to live their normal lives we also have things like um, inhalation therapy and different nebulizer technology um, continence, musculoskeletal issues, and helping people fit into daily routines. You know, it's quite it's quite a lot to ask people to do. You know, thirty minutes of exercise, thirty minutes of airway clearance, two nebulizers that take fifteen minutes of time. But actually, sitting down with someone and seeing how they can effectively get that into their world can really help. So physios are really quite good at doing that kind of thing. Um. And I think, you know, since since the TFTR modulator medications have been um, introduced, many people with CF are feeling better and many do have less sputum and fewer infections. And I think the role of the physio has become less of a kind of airway clearance assistant and more of almost an airway clearance detective. Because, you know, I mean, I can talk about my hospital. I mean, we had, you know, 28 beds full of people with CF needing twice daily airway clearance to help them keep on top of how much sputum they had in their lungs and now maybe we have eight in at the moment and some of those actually don't have as much sputum to to manage so you know our our role has definitely decreased in that area but what we do need to do like I say is be this airway clearance detective and try and find people who do need to do clearance and who do need to do effective and high quality techniques and make sure that they can do them effectively. 
And it might be that we create a new regime that's more exercise focused for those who don't have existing lung damage and where sputum isn't sort of so much of an issue. And I think, you know, we have obviously had a lot of changes since COVID. But the bit about how COVID affected this whole area, because it seems like it coincided, at least in the States, the introduction of these new therapies coincided with the introduction of a COVID pandemic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it it was um, it was quite it was quite strange in that sense, because at some, you know, for quite a while and possibly even still so we don't know the full impacts of of what's happened with the CFTR modulator medications, because you know COVID nineteen had this kind of um, huge change on CF care, where we had this double prong of the hospitals needed the beds for the COVID nineteen patients, the CF population were advised to shield, so CF services turned pretty much virtual overnight, um, and luckily for CF, a lot of us had been using virtual services before the pandemic. So we were in a good place to start. You know, we could have, you know, online clinics. We could offer home IV antibiotics to patients who needed them. Um, But obviously our numbers who were in hospital fell. And what we don't really now know is how much of that impact was the CFTR modulator medications with people feeling better and how much of it was shielding. And I think as we go further out of shielding and the pandemic, we are still seeing these lower numbers, as I sort of mentioned before. So I think, you know, this is the FTR modulator medications, and I think that probably is here to stay. Um, so, you know, we've now got this kind of interesting world of where do we, you know, where do we go? What, what are we offering for the future? Because, you know, we've had this whole virtual service. Before that, we had this whole face-to-face service. And now we've got people who like a bit of both. So, you know... <laughs> all the services have got to work out how we have almost this hybrid approach. So if if people want to come to the hospital, they can, but if they don't or they they need to, can we, you know, can we offer them both? So I think that's our our big challenge for the future. Um, Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see it all roll out, really. In addition to talking about these clinical challenges in your article, you talked about some of the research challenges and the need in particular, at least what struck me was when you talk about the need for better studies of the efficacy of different interventions that physios are providing to this uh, patient population. Can you talk about some of what you see as the unique research challenges? Because I think our listeners would find that interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if they're unique just to just to our kind of CF population per se. I mean, I think airway clearance is a, a tricky area, you know, in, in all different populations in the sense of you haven't really got a, um, a placebo. You haven't really got a blinding. You know, it's quite obvious if you're doing breathing exercises or not. Um, and the trouble that we have with our, you know, where which obviously a lot of people probably do have is around the design of the research it's very hard to ask people to be randomized to do something that they don't want to do, particularly when it's something as time consuming, as lengthy and as airway clearance can be. Um, And if it's something that people aren't finding effective, you've also then got a problem of, are they, you know, are they feeling less well from it and therefore not doing it or are they not feeling any effect at all? You know, there's so many reasons why people might not want to be in these studies. And what we might find is that actually 
we may need to use kind of longer term observational studies rather than your, your strict randomized controlled trials to look at things. But they are obviously then criticized because they aren't randomized controlled trials. Um, but we do need to know what the best interventions are and we do need to know the effect of you know, potential new interventions that come out there. And I think the, the most important thing that is definitely not a unique challenge for CF is the fact that we need patient involvement the whole way through the, the research cycle. So designing the studies to try and get an effective research question and research protocol that is actually doable and that people with CF agree with and feel like is a, um, a necessary thing to do because, you know, without that, we can't move the research forwards and we won't be able to answer the questions about, you know, what physio is the best physio to do? What's the best, you know, form? Can exercise replace airway clearance? All of those kind of questions that are out there. Do you have good historical data that you can use for comparative purposes? We don't have, we have data, definitely. Good data is is the key word there. We have, you know, we, there are studies in, in physio and in airway clearance techniques, but they're often quite criticised for um, for either the the methods or the kind of outcomes that were used to to measure things. Physio kind of um, traditionally has seemed to kind of pick up outcome measures that are used for other things and kind of roll with them. Um, and they're not, they are criticized as being not, not the best to use for actual airway clearance research. Well, so that's I think, an area that you need to work on as well. What about crossover yeah. designs, Dr. Dan Stanford? Have you considered crossover designs? Because that sometimes will mitigate the, uh, the ethical dilemma. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the studies are crossover designs that have been, that have been put out there already. But it just depends on the length of the crossover. Um, there are quite, you know, there were studies that crossed over from one technique to another and still saw an awful lot of dropouts as soon as somebody, as soon as the people crossed over to the one they didn't want to do. Um, and, you know, airway clearance, um, it's quite hard to prove an effect in one session. You know, you, ideally, you need to have a longer term design. So, you know, you need to have the buy in of people to do something for a longer term. Yeah. And that sometimes is the problem. Yeah. Well, I wanna thank you for taking the time to talk about your work, both clinical and in the research. Um, it's really fascinating to see these developments and how they're having an impact on, on the field of rehabilitation. And uh, I'm excited to see the research coming forward in the future. So thank you. And thank you for publishing your work in PTJ. Well, thank you for, yeah, thank you for letting us talk to you. And yeah, thank you for accepting our article. I think it's a really great area. I think it's got a lot of questions that need to be answered. Hopefully yeah, a few of my colleagues can help me to answer some of them. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.